to the audio event of the century, featuring two lifelong best friends. We love the Leafs. We love each other. But most of all, we love William Nylander. Welcome to the Buds All Day. Hello and welcome to the Buds All Day Post Game Reaction Podcast. I'm Sats Mundine here with Lebda's Legacy. How's it going, everyone? And we're going to recap the unfortunate 6-3 loss that the Toronto Maple Leafs had at the hands of the Vancouver Canucks tonight. Now, the Leafs were able to get two goals from John Tavares, who continued his hot streak, and another one from Adam Brooks, while the Canucks got two goals from Tanner Pearson, two goals from Brandon Sutter, one from Niles Hoaglander, and another from Quinn Hughes. Now, Lebda, I know you were absolutely fuming after the last game what is your take on today's affair yeah it's really hard to not carry over that same energy from last game into this game now if we kind of look at the game to the tonight maybe statistically the Leafs played better the other night with their chances for and you know their possession and all that but they they never really felt last game like they were really into the game and this game through the first two periods it felt like they were actually into the game they felt dangerous they looked like they actually wanted to play hockey tonight um so yeah with that being said like we'll kind of go through the stats of the Leafs so 49 percent possession for them tonight uh scoring chances for at 54 percent high danger Corsi four at 55 and then the expected goals uh percent for the Leafs tonight was 57 so you can see they definitely outplayed the Vancouver Canucks. And I will kind of make a point on those numbers too. The Leafs were absolutely like dominating, dominating those numbers even more in the first two periods. And then the third period kind of fell off. And uh, a large reason to do was uh, a couple of real stinky, stinky goals from Dave Reddick. Oh man, I can still smell them from here. Those were awful. That, uh, that fifth goal that Tanner Pearson scored was probably the worst goal I've ever seen allowed by a goalie not named Vesa Toskala. Yeah, man. Toskala is like 200 foot goal. Might have honestly been a better goal than that one. That was at least brutal. he had an excuse, right? That puck was bouncing, bouncing like, all over the place. <laughs> Rick just decided, you know, the puck's coming right at my leg. So I'm going to lift it up and let it go off my skating in. So yeah, I think I would have missed the net to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I it, it literally looked like a goalie who saw the puck coming and was like, nah, I don't really like my team, so I'm just going to let it in. So basically at that point, he was in his head. So let's let's rewind a little bit. <clears throat> if we go into the, the way the game started, he the first goal he allowed, I would com- give him a complete pass for that. It was off a deflected point shot, ends up hitting the side of the net, bouncing to Brandon Sutter. I wouldn't say he's really at fault for that one. Now, in my mind, the second goal as well, it was a Quinn Hughes point shot. It looked like it was totally unscreened, untipped, and I was like, how did that go in? But upon reviewing the replay, you could see that Mitch Marner had actually deflected off him and went in. And then the third goal for me is where it started to get really stinky. That Hoaglander shot off the rush was just brutal. Yeah, that was really, really ugly. I kind of want to go back to the second goal. I I, I feel like your opinion is one that I kind of see a lot on Twitter, you know, wherever – you hear deflection. Oh, it deflected. Like the goalie. Oh, it deflected. The goalie can't make a save there because it deflected. We look at that deflection. It happens like four inches like away from where Hughes originally shoots the puck, and it doesn't really change direction at all. It goes just. It just flutters a little bit more and goes right over Riddick's shoulder. Like, when we're talking about deflected goals that goalies can't save, it's when a puck is going like to their blocker side. Also, takes a deflection and goes over their glove. I just. I, I can't give Dave Riddick a pass on that one at all because the puck just really doesn't change 
that much of a direction. And even if it does change direction, it goes right over his shoulder. Like you just have to be bigger in your net and in a better position to make that save. To me, goals like that would come down to how the rest of the game goes. So if like when it was three, two for the Leafs and, and Riddick had stopped like 21 of 23 shots, you're not going to be complaining with how he performed. He, he was giving the Leafs kind of exactly what they'll need now and in the playoffs. And that is just average goaltending where you make a couple hard saves, but just stop the ones that are absolutely essential. And that's usually good enough for the Leafs. So he was okay to that point. For me, you do make a good point. I guess the deflection wasn't exactly something that's that's unstoppable. But the other goals is what makes you really reflect back on that and be like, okay, man, you got to have at least some of these. And then... It, not only did he allow a couple that he potentially could have stopped, he also allowed two that there are no chance that any NHL goalie should allow those goals. Like that Hoaglander goal, that wasn't even that good of a shot. Uh, no, like that, it's it's not like that Hoaglander goal was going like top shelf bar down from from that location. It was a great shot. Like it literally goes right through David Riddick. Like I, I say you shoot that puck at Riddick a hundred times. He makes saves 99 and a half times because it just hits him and somehow it just found a way through. So it's just, that's just a bad, bad, bad goal. And then he follows that up with a goal where I don't even know, like it looked like he let it in on purpose. You mean that fifth goal? So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the, the Hoaglander one was the third one. The fourth one, like, again, it's one where I wouldn't, totally blame him for it. it came off like it was on a power play the the Canucks had a hard shot from just outside like just above the the dots in the circle and he allowed the rebound the rebound bounced right to Tanner Pearson for basically an open net on that one same thing I'm going to give you a pass if you play well the rest of the game but when that's one of the five goals you let in on only I think 25 shots at some point you just got to make a save and then I think those goals just went completely to his head because that fifth goal was just the goal that only a goalie with no confidence is letting in. Like that, that puck, like it was missing the net. If, if anything, it would have hit the post or something. And, and he had maybe six inches of space between his pad and it somehow he nicked it off the bottom corner of his pad and deflected it into the net. Like that was, that was like shades of Vesa Tosca. I'm probably going to have a nightmare about Vesa tonight. <laughs> yeah so that fourth goal it's a it's a slap shot from the circles on the power play Riddick just needs to do a better job at not letting that rebound fall right into the slot like, that's one thing where goalies work on that a lot and that is a skill that angel goalies possess and you see them do it all the time and also when it is on um like a penalty kill like that there's less coverage in front of the net so if that happens kind of 5v5 there's a much greater chance of a Leafs player being there and being able to just like scoop away the rebound but it, yeah, like to give, again, to give Riddick an entire pass on that one, I think he just needs to do a better job at, at um, adjusting to the first shot. And then, yeah, you pretty much summed up that, that fifth Vancouver goal, like perfectly. There's not, there's nothing else really to say about that other than that's just a goalie who just forgot, like completely, completely forgot to play goalie on that goal. And then you can even say that about him, like on the night yeah, and I'm sure he's got to be really disappointed because it was such a missed opportunity for him. With the way Campbell's played lately, he kind of left the door open for, for Riddick to steal some games down the stretch here and potentially play himself into a playoff game. But with that performance, he has all but sealed his fate as a backup at best. Now, he, he obviously could turn around and have some great games, but I don't think the Leafs are going to have a lot of faith in him going forward. So unless 
Campbell just really implodes and Fred is either unable to come back or is a pumpkin in his own right. It's not looking good for uh, Big Dave there to, to play any playoff games. Yeah, I'm getting real sick of these Leafs goalies just completely blowing their chances to actually take the net. Now, do you really expect Dave Riddick to start in the playoffs? Probably not. But Jack Campbell has been very, very bad lately. And so there's an opportunity there. And Dave Riddick could have had a big game, you know, stop a skid, play well against, you know, a team like the Vancouver Canucks and, you know, get on a little streak here. And he just didn't do that tonight and really cost his team the game tonight. Yeah, he really let let the team down tonight. So it's going to really the last 10 games is going to be huge to see who, which goalie can, can take the torch and, and run with it. Cause it's pretty much open for, for Campbell and, and Freddie to steal it now. So that game against Winnipeg on Thursday is going to be absolutely massive for Jack. And that would really do a lot for my confidence going into the playoffs. If he can, if he can come up with a good showing on Thursday. Yeah. I think these Leafs goalies should definitely be feeling the pressure too. Cause now Zach Hyman injured, like we're pretty much there. If Fred's completely healthy. He can come back into the lineup and play games and, you know, we were talking, even at the trade deadline, we were talking, I don't think there's a chance Fred starts game one. You know, Jack Campbell was, yeah, not playing well a little bit before that, but you're like, ah, it's only a couple games, not a big deal. Now he's turned that into a bit of a habit here. And you're looking like maybe maybe we do need Fred Anderson back, which is an absolutely terrifying, terrifying thought. But yeah, I, I don't understand, you know, obviously goalie's a lot mental. There's a lot more than just, hey, be good. But these professional athletes, and eventually you're like, hey, one of you guys, like, take this opportunity. This is ridiculous. You have an insanely good hockey team in front of you. Stop costing us wins. Someone take the net, and someone actually perform for us going down the stretch here. Yeah, I think I think our best hope is definitely that, that Jack can recover his form, just because I'm hopeful Fred can come back and be a lot better, but it has been over a year since he's been a good goalie. Like, his save percentage since Keefe has arrived is... I want to say like sub 900, maybe like 902 or something like that. And it all coincided with uh, with a groin injury for Fred last year. And as we know, groins are, is absolutely vital to a goalie. It's basically the center of everything with all the side-to-side movements they're doing. So you talk to a lot of goalies and a lot of uh, like physiotherapists and stuff, and they say if that if that goes on you, it's almost impossible for a goalie to recover. So I don't re- – even though this this injury on Fred is on his knee, I think, his groin could still be an issue and, and potentially the issue that, that caused the knee. So I, I do not really want to have to go into a playoffs with Fred because he's not the 2019, 2018 version of Fred. He's this version and he scares the daylights out of me. So we really need to hope Jack can take the torch down these next few games. Leafs goaltending situation is terrifying right now. Like if you're if you're a betting man and you see the odds on whoever the Leaf plays in the first round, if the Leafs like if Jack Campbell doesn't completely turn around by the end of the season, take take that bet because this goaltending situation is like disgusting and very very worrisome. Because if the thought of Fred Anderson coming back with not many games, and getting thrown into the playoffs when he hasn't been good for a year is terrifying. If Jack Campbell can't rebound, that means oh he started the season off really good and has been bad for that many games. Like, that's terrifying, and clearly Dave Riddick, like, he wasn't a great goalie coming into Toronto. You signed him as your third-string goalie. Maybe he gets hot, but the last couple of games have not really shown shown to me that he can uh, be a starting goalie in the NHL. So, yeah, like, it's a dire, dire situation in the Leafs' net right now. Yeah, I will say, you mentioned the first round and betting odds and stuff like that. One thing we can take solace in is that our likely opponent, Montreal, isn't exactly a goaltending juggernaut. 
Shout out to Chris Johnston. Um, Carey Price is on the mend, and as Lee fans, we obviously really hope he's healthy just because you want to see a guy healthy and and being able to play, but also because Carey Price stinks, and Jake Allen is better than him right now. But if you even look at Jake Allen, he started the year off really hot. I know his save percentage was in the 930s, maybe even in the 940s. He's down to 914, so he's still not even playing to the level of Jack Campbell. So I feel like goaltending in that series is just going to be a complete roll of the dice. It's just going to come down to who gets luckier because I, as unconfident as I am in the Leafs goaltending, it's not like I would like be pumped up to trade our goalies for Montreal's for a series. No, like Jack Campbell's kind of almost doing very similar things to Jake Allen right now, or yeah, start off the season, go on a slide. Jake Allen's been pretty good his last couple games. So maybe he's rebounding. Maybe it's just a lucky couple games. You are right. Like I don't envy Montreal's goaltending situation. It's probably worse than ours, but if you're looking at it from a leaf standpoint, like that team is so, so much better and if all of a sudden their goaltending just can't perform up to it, like that's a scary, scary thing going into the playoffs. Yeah, and that's why you and I, we were preaching, get a real goalie at the play. Like we, Dave Riddick, when we did our goaltending podcast, we had him down the list because he's, he's not, he's never been an above average goalie. He's always been slightly below. So he is a backup. Yeah. We were kind of advocating for getting a Bernier, getting an Almar, getting one of these guys who, if Jack falters, or if Fred doesn't come back, that you have somebody you can rely on. And with that, with the third round pick we traded for Riddick, I, I, I still feel a little bit more confident in him than Hutchinson, but not by much. And I certainly don't feel like he can drag us to a cup. So it's going to be a concern until, until they prove that they can handle it. Until we win a first round series in which our goalie po- plays well, it's going to be a big concern for us. Well, I think, too, a lot of rumors have come out the last week or so about the Leafs, you know, making an offer for anti-Ranta. I don't know what that offer looked like. I don't think that's come out. But if it came down to, a, you know, not a major piece going out of the way, the decision for Kyle Dubas not to go get anti-Ranta, who is a legitimate, like, starter-quality goaltender in this league, and instead go to David Riddick for a third-round pick, like, how much more could Ranta really cost? He wasn't going to cost a top prospect, so... Like, it comes down to decisions there by Kyle Dubas, too, where, you know, you're all in for a year, sure, but if you don't didn't sure up that goaltending problem, which it's not looking like you did right now, like, that's a lot of eggs in the Jack Campbell basket. Like, we could be looking back on this summer and being like, wow, Kyle Dubas, like, you really screwed up the trade deadline. Like, yeah, you brought in, you know, Nick Felino for a first round. Good for you. Some people like the deal, some don't. We're not going to debate that tonight. But you just wasted a first-round pick and didn't sure up your goaltending. Now, all of a sudden, Columbus is picking fifteenth. Like, like things can go ugly for Kyle Dubas. Like, he made a big bet on David Riddick, and we are huge Dubas fans. Like, shoring up the the goaltending position. And yeah, like everything's still up in the air right now, but it's it's looking rough right now. It it is now now there. So out of this game, I really only had two concerns because. The goaltending was number one. After the previous game, Hyman was a concern. It was amazing to get the news that he's hopefully only out for about two weeks. My other concern is Austin Matthews. I know by expected goals and, and possession and things like that tonight, his his line actually outchanced the Canucks 6-1 from high danger tonight. So they like they were performing, but just to the eye test, the way that wrist looked tonight, he was, he was t- a little bit tentative. He didn't look to be shooting it as much now. I really, really hope it's just like the last time when he he got aggravated on there and he just has a couple games to get back. But 
until he's rifling shots again, it's going to be in the back of my mind. Yeah, I think to say about like how their stats look good, I think Matthews was being propped up a little bit by Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner was pretty good tonight. I think if I'm not mistaken, he was the best Leaf uh, when it comes to expected goals on the evening. Yeah, he was at 75% tops on the team. Yeah, and he had that great play on the penalty kill. So Mitch Marner played quite well tonight, which is nice to see because I don't think he has been playing you know, up to his standards the last little week. So, yeah, you look at Austin Matthews tonight. He's kind of – he's just kind of floating around a little bit more. When when he's on his game, he's like – he's coming in hard. And he, he's not necessarily like a big checker or anything. Like, I'm not saying that. But he's coming in hard on the forecheck. He's forcing turnovers. He's circling around. So strong like, on the board. Like, he's playing with power. And you look at him tonight, and he's just floating around there. He's looking a little bit timid. He's not making the passes. He's not receiving the passes that he normally does. He's not making those extra stick handles to get him supposed a little bit of space. So I don't know if it's just he doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't care about the rest of the season. You know, he was looking pretty cool. That's definitely not it. You know, you know, if he's capable of sniping, he's sniping. He wants that goal title, baby. See, you say that, but look at how he's played lately. It, like a wrist yeah. injury shouldn't, shouldn't affect your effort like that. You know, he was looking pretty cool rollerblading with Joe Thornton today, but hey, maybe, you know, they got in that uh, West Coast mindset where, you know, a little bit laid back and he couldn't translate it to the game. So, yeah. I don't... And everybody's not going to have a perfect game, right? It could have just been a, a bad couple of games for him. My concern is less on his effort level and things like that, more on just I saw a few times when I know if he's healthy, he's ripping the puck. Like when they had the empty net, there were a couple times it got passed to him and he was on the half wall for a one-timer and he just passed it right back to the to the defenseman. So, it's a little bit concerning. I'm not panicked. I'd say my, my fear on that is about three out of 10 right now, just because we have seen it before where he, he was able to recover and get better. So hopefully it's just kind of the thing where he took another knock, but even if he does recover, it's always going to be a fear of mine in the playoff series that somebody on the other team says, Hey, I'm going to slash this guy's hands and take away their best weapon. Yeah. And I think that's where refing in the playoffs could really negatively affect the Leafs. Cause who knows? You know, you get a dirty player in the first round that's like, hey, Austin Matthews, first two games here has been lighting it up. I'm, I'm you know, a fourth liner, bottom pair defenseman. I'm going to really help my team out, and I'm just going to be really, really physical on them. And, you know, we know how things go in the playoffs. A little bit more gets let go, a little bit more physical play. Austin Matthews gets hit wrong in the wrist, and he's, you know, back to when he was injured before, playing like that for a couple weeks, and that can really, really affect the Leafs. So, I think it's definitely one of those things where I'm not really concerned about it right now because there's still lots of time for him to to recover. But going forward, it's yeah, we always, have almost a month until the playoffs. Like it's always going to be in the back of your mind, thinking about it. Like even when come playoff time. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Austin Matthews just hasn't been himself the last couple of games. So whether it's a bad couple of games, whether he just doesn't care enough about the rest of the season, or whether his wrist is injured, we'll kind of. That's something we'll probably never actually find an answer to, and we can just speculate. It's just he 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 does need to be better for this Leafs team to go deep in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, one thing like I wouldn't usually like I wouldn't really question his effort level, but one thing that I would say with regards to effort level, just as a whole, is this Leafs team has not been playing for much the last couple weeks during this streak. So I, they are, and they're still out playing teams, right? So they're still playing well enough, but. I almost don't mind seeing a couple losses like this, a little bit of adversity just to kind of keep the pedal to the metal for the rest of the year. Because I would obviously love to have that big buffer where they could rest guys. But I think in the NHL, they're not really that progressive with, with rest and load management and things like that, where they're going to do it. So I don't mind the Leafs having some adversity, having to battle down the stretch here to maintain first place. 
and keep that effort level going into the playoffs. Because how many times have you seen it where a team just has first place locked up and the team that battled to get into the playoffs is able to steal a game or two off of them early because they've been playing for their lives for a month or two? Yeah, that's not a that's not a terrible point. Now, I will counter that with, um, you know, was losing to Boston twice in a row not enough adversity? Was the David Ayers game not enough adversity? Was the Ottawa game where we blew that lead earlier on today? Was the game la- like last game not enough adversity? Like this team has clearly, clearly not, you know, learned from their mistakes in the past. So just saying, oh, a little bit of adversity here. Who knows? Maybe this is the time they learn. But if you're looking at the history of this Leafs team, like they sure haven't learned a lot of lessons from all the all the adversity <laughs> they've faced over the last couple of years. No, that's a fair point about having previously faced adversity. Maybe there's a better way for me to word it and just to say kind of some pressure on them because I know you can reflect back on your adversity versus Boston, but at the same time, this team, like, it's not so much even as adversity as just having to keep that level of intensity. When you're so far ahead in first place, it's hard to keep that intensity up. And then if you have been playing for a month games that are kind of lackadaisical without that real attention to detail, I feel like... It does take a game or two to come back in the playoffs. You can't just snap your fingers and turn it back on. So I, I agree. They've definitely, they're definitely not short on adversity in, as a team in the past few years. I just think that this little bit of pressure is kind of the kick in the butt they need. Yeah, and if you are going to lose games to, you know, keep yourself tight in the race, then I guess losing games because your goaltending, well, because your goalies are bad and your team's actually playing well, isn't the worst way to do it, but. As, as long as your goaltending can rebound. So, yeah, we'll kind of see, like, how that point turns out. Because if the Leafs do have to keep the pedal on the metal all the way going back, they come into the first round with a nice win streak, lots of confidence, and they start flying. Like, they could get on just a crazy, crazy run like they started this season this year. So that that's, that's kind of the ones where, like, you make a great point there. I don't know if I fully agree. I don't obviously fully disagree. But we'll, we'll see how it plays out come playoff time. Yeah, I hope they're just ready to ramp it up for that three-game stretch right near the end of the season where they face Montreal. And I'm just, I see Vancouver plays Ottawa their next four games, and if they won all four of those games, they'd be tied with uh, tied with Montreal for that last playoff spot. So I'm kind of hoping that the Habs and are just fighting neck and neck, and we're able to face them uh, for the three of the last games of the year, and just really be in a desperate position and really pedal to the metal and just wipe the floor with them for three games to send them back healthy. Now, moving on to some positives. There were definitely some good things to take out of this game. One thing for sure is that John Tavares just stays hot, and that is one reason why I feel like with this Matthews injury, it does scare me less because, one, we've seen him recover from it. Two, Matthews is still a first-line center, even with a broken or damaged wrist, and Tavares is looking like a true first-line center again. Yeah, I think you said it actually last podcast. This might genuinely be John Tavares' best year as a Leaf. He just hasn't got kind of the lucky bounces to pop the numbers up. But yeah, you're seeing John Tavares in a big resurgence. And if he keeps this level of play going forward, like he could absolutely feast on some teams. We're looking at Montreal Canadiens in the first round. They're probably the deepest matchup. They're probably the the team where you're like, ah, like John Tavares won't feast as much. Like that line's still better than the Canadian second line or third line or whoever they're matched up against. But if you get past those Montreal Canadiens and you have the Edmonton Oilers, the Winnipeg Jets in the next round, that John Tavares line, like if the Austin Matthews line gets that heavy, like hard matchup, like that John Tavares line could be scary, scary good in the playoffs, especially with the way Willie Nylander has been playing now too. 
they've both been good all season. It's just now they're now they're producing the points that can you know finally back up all the people who have been saying, look at their underlying numbers, look at their underlying numbers. Like it's it's going to rebound, it's going to even out. So yeah, ending the season with John Tavares and William Nylander on a hot streak like they have been on lately, and they played really well tonight. It, it's just really really nice going forward for the Leafs. Yeah, like he's got the highest expected goals for percentage at, that he's had as a Leaf. He's up to 42 points in 46 games. He's got 16 goals already. Like he is just looking like the old Tavares. And it's we I know we were defending him earlier on in the season, like we said, when his bounces weren't weren't bouncing for him. But he definitely, on top of getting those bounces, like he has just clearly taken another step. He's playing with like more force. He's playing. He's got those great stick handles that he's so famous for working in tight foam booth areas. Like it has just been a revelation and, and Willie too on that line. They have just both been flying. I know their, their expected goals tonight weren't, weren't even the highest on the team. I think they were sitting at around 55% tonight, but they are finishing, man. They are finishing. And that's kind of a point you need to make where sure their expected goals maybe weren't as high as the Matthews line, but everything needs to be put into the context of the game. You can't argue. I don't think that that John Tavares line was worse than the Matthews line, even if the numbers and the chances don't add up like that. John Tavares line was just so much more dangerous than the Matthews line tonight. Yeah, completely agree. And and speaking of looking dangerous, it was nice to see that loaded up power play click tonight. Yeah. It, it's exactly what we've both been preaching about. Load up the power play, because even if they still struggled or continue to struggle, if you load it up, you're going down with a fight. You're doing everything you can. Sure, you probably still need to change some systems and that, but power play scored tonight. It looked good tonight. They probably should have had two or three more power plays tonight, but hey. And- Graham Skilleter alert! <laughs> you know, Graham Skilleter, you know, he's going to Graham Skilleter. Keith called him out, so now he's just going to be a big old... Big old piss baby about it the rest of the year and not uh, not give the Leafs any advantages, but uh, but yeah. That- well, you do realize that people come to hockey games to watch the refs, right? They don't they don't come to watch the players. Oh yeah, like and clearly, you know, he's the biggest star on the show. I'm surprised he hasn't started doing that. Um, what is it? The Wes McCauley stuff where he's calling all the big five minutes for fighting, big fights, all animated, trying to get some more TV time. But it's. I, we we don't need to get into it tonight. Graham Skilleter sucks. NHL officiating sucks. It's all brutal. The thing that didn't suck tonight was that Leafs' first power play. I really like their patience. That Leafs' only power play. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really like their patience on the power play. I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter like, oh, see what happens when you shoot like on that Tavares goal. But like, watch that power play. They've given up their – or they didn't take a lot of opportunities to shoot from the point or Matthew shooting from the top of the circle, Marner shooting from the top of the circle. They just continued to be patient. They cycled it around a little bit more. They got the puck down low to Nylander and back up high. There's a lot more movement. And then that's what happens. All that movement draws people away. John Tavares gets the puck in a perfect prime shooting position, and he shoots one, snipes it, a great, great um, screen by Willie Nylander in front. And that's how power play goals should should look. They should be always high danger chances. Yeah, that movement, like you said, is critical. Uh, Matthews usually, I know when our power play is struggling, like him and Marner are just glued to those half walls. They don't move. But right before that goal, Marner sl- or Matthews slid into the middle, Tavares slid out, and it's just a different look for the team, right? The, the other team doesn't really know what to expect. If Matthews is always coming off that half wall with the puck, guess what? They all know what he wants to do. They're going to sell out to stop it, and we didn't have a remedy for that. But when you mix it up and you throw Tavares there from time to time, it just gives the other team so much more to think about, and it just causes that confusion. And when you're a man up, that is critical. Now, another positive I had from this game was the uh, the play of Rasmus Sandin. He just looks so poised out there. Yeah, I think he definitely played well. Now, 
a lot of people are kind of calling for Travis Dermott's head. I am not one of those. I don't, I don't want to, like, I'm not ragging here on Sandine. I think uh, Rasmus Sandine is an NHL quality player at this point in time. I just also think that Travis Dermott is, has been a very good player, and that uh, dermott Bogosian pairing has worked very, very well for the Leafs up until this point. But it is nice to see Sandine come in. He hasn't played for a while, so you really can expect him to play better than he did tonight, and he played very good tonight. So it is a nice option for the Leafs going forward, have, having Rasmus Sandine, who's a lot more offensively minded. He's really good with the puck. He's going to be a little bit more similar to Morgan Radley, hopefully minus the defensive mistakes, uh, than a Travis Dermott, who is like very good defensively. He's good at preventing goals. He's he's pretty good at preventing Corsi and stuff like that. So it, it's just a nice option for the Leafs. If maybe they're struggling offensively, they drop Travis Dermott down or drop Zach Bogosian down, throw Rasmus Sandin in the, in the lineup. So it's nice having a young defenseman who's obviously has so much potential that is pushing for that NHL spot and giving the Leafs options going forward. Well, and it his play became that much more important tonight when when Bogosian crashed into the boards. There, he, I hope he's not. I like he was able to at least get up on his own power, but he didn't return to the game. So you hope that's not a broken bone or anything. But it we could really need Sandine in a hurry if uh, if Bogosian's not okay. Yeah, exactly. That that was one of the ones where just kind of the way he crashed, it, it kind of went ankle first. So you're thinking like maybe a high ankle sprain, something like that, and those. Uh, those take a while to come back from. So we have Ben Hutton that they acquired at the deadline. That's a little bit more of that defensive replacement. But also Travis Dermott's really good in his own zone. If him or Sandine can tra- transition to the other side, probably Dermott. Who knows? Like that maybe could be a really nice pairing where the Leafs have that little bit of um, defensive stability. Both of those guys can move the puck. Like I think Travis Dermott's an underrated puck mover out of his own zone. Doesn't translate much into offense. But yeah, having another NHL-ready defenseman that's like really chomping at the bit could really, really be big for the Leafs down the stretch. Yeah, I think especially with this Bogosian injury, we're definitely going to see a lot more of Sandine down the stretch, whether that's replacing Dermot if Bogosian does come back. I think he, I think it wouldn't be the worst thing to give Bogosian a few nights off. I mean, he's he's not exactly old, but he's no spring chicken. So keep him fresh. Um, it's, I, I never thought I'd be saying this, but I on I definitely agree with keeping Bogosian in over Dermot. His like just looking at his numbers, his possessions better than Dermot's this year. His plus minus, I know that's not everything at all, but just his his RAPMs, his advanced metrics have actually been better than Dermot's this year. So I think it's key. Like the last thing I'd want to see is a Bogosian Hutton pairing because that just doesn't have the puck moving capability. But one of one of Sandine or Dermot with Bogosian is is going to be a great third pairing for us regardless. Yeah, and I think that probably comes down to if Sandine does get a nice look going forward, which I do think he will because the Leafs at some point do need to figure out, is he NHL ready? Does he need to stay in the minors the rest of the year and then potentially try next year or whatever like that? You see them doing it a little bit with Nick Robertson right now, and it's perfect time with these injuries to get these guys into the lineup. But yeah, like, you know, you're matched up. You need a little bit more defense on your third pairing because of whatever matchup. Boom, Dermot Bogosian, Dermot Hutton. Something like that, depending if there's injuries or how people are playing. I don't think Bergosian comes out of the lineup. He's been fantastic this year to add on to what exactly what you said. Uh, but then, yeah, the Leafs' offense is struggling a little bit. They're struggling, you know, moving the puck out of their own zone or forcing that play forward. Then, boom, you have Rasmus Sandin, if he continues to play well, who can fit right in there and, and impact this Leafs team going uh, offensively a little bit more. It's kind of funny because if Bogosian's out for like a week or two, it's going to be a Dermot-Sandine pairing. I'm sure Hutton will be sprinkled in there too a bit, but it's going to be 
two or three guys that are playing with each other, but are also kind of fighting against each other for that final position on the defense in the playoffs. Because you know, you know, like we said, Bogosian's locked in. That top five is locked in. Mm-hmm. But I think the door is open for Sandine to uh, less so Hutton because I think I think the Leafs are just too smart. They'll make sure that they have at least one puck mover on each defensive pairing. But that door is like I think that door is definitely open for Sandine if he can continue to play like tonight, like. He was behind Bogosian. He had the second highest expected goals for on the team. So if he can play like that every night, and then he could also be a a second power play unit contributor. I know in the playoffs, it's probably not going to get much play time, but if that unit's struggling, I wouldn't even honestly mind seeing him on the first unit. Again, don't think they'll try it, but he just has so much poise with the puck. Like he's so, he just, I saw him cut right in front of his net. I feel like a lot of defensemen would be scared to do that. He just so calmly does it, lays off a nice breakout pass. Countless plays in the neutral zone where he just picked it up with speed. He's, I can see why Leafs management is so high on him. I haven't seen him because I don't watch the Marlies that much, so I haven't seen that much of him. But it's easy to see why the Leafs would not have been willing to trade him at the deadline. Yeah, you can see that potential's there. And whether he's 100% there but or not, left to be said again like i said he, he needs an opportunity in the nhl to prove that but he is definitely very very close to being that impact nhl player and i think another thing i just want to touch on is you said that competition you have guys potentially playing with each other and that are you know fighting for the same spot i think you're going to see that in the bottom six too like sure these injuries have given some guys some opportunities that you maybe weren't counting on going forward being on this leafs roster but that's another thing like the bottom six right now cannot let up on their games going forward because there is that competition. So uh, we kind of talked about earlier where, you know, maybe losing isn't the worst thing because you have to play hard every night. Now, like there has to be a fire to keep your spot kind of going. I think the same thing can be said with all this competition at the bottom end of the D pairings and the bottom end of our forward group where guys in that area, they have to play their butts off every night and they have to really, really push and try and contribute to earn that spot going forward in the playoffs. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be exciting to see down the stretch what they do, who can who can solidify their role. So there's still lots, a lot to look out for in these last ten games for the Leafs. Now, moving on to the uh, stars of the game, I'll let you go first tonight, Lebda. Who did you have? Alrighty, well, obviously we talked about this, so I'm not gonna steal yours from you and uh, throw you under the bus a little bit here. So I'm gonna give I, it... gee, I wonder who it is. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm gonna give it to Willie Nylander. Two points tonight. He was like obviously a very very good player all night he missed the team meeting yesterday morning a lot of people were saying oh like accountability gur 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 like he needs to be sat look there's there's other ways to create accountability if he didn't play good tonight coming out of of the gate he probably would have been sat for a couple periods by Sheldon Keith it's very clear that William Nylander does just need that little kick in the butt every now and then and like him missing a meeting, no one knows the circumstance. That, that's not something that we really need to talk about. That's something that's held internally. Everything we say is just speculation. But what we can see, Sheldon Keith clearly told him, hey, you don't perform, you're probably sitting. And Elander came out. He had that little bit of a fire lit under his butt. And he, and he played amazing. Two points, very crucial in those two points. That line was, I think, my favorite on the night. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I guess there's no probably real secret to who you're uh, – your star of the game is. Yeah, and before I go into my shocking star, I do want to just say about Nylander, like just the way he was carrying the puck tonight. Like he just, it looked like he was playing a video game at times. Like just the way he was skating around guys, just carrying it through the neutral zone, laying off passes. He is so fun to watch. I honestly, I cannot fathom 
how there are people who don't like him and don't don't see what he provides because he does it from an analytical standpoint and he does it from an eye test standpoint. Like just the way he carries the puck into the zone and everything he does is just it's so much fun to watch. I'm so glad to have him. But yes, my star is going to be a shocker. It is one John Tavares who scored his 15th and 16th goals on the year tonight. Again, not their best night from an expected goals for percentage standpoint. Uh, they weren't the best line technically, but but he finished tonight. And that's what he's been doing lately. And it's just, oh, is he so good? Captain, oh, captain, you are my captain, John Tavares. No, like, there's there's nothing to argue. I think those were the Leafs' two best players. No one else really stood out in that way. Like, they got blown out. So it's not hard to, you know, not find standouts. But John Tavares and Willie Neiman, as we already talked about it, their play going forward just has me so excited that if, you know, Austin Matthews is a little bit hurt or that line does kind of dip down into, you know, human standards for a couple of games, that, that John Tavares line is just absolutely going to be able to to carry the load for the Leafs offensively for, for at least a couple of games. Yeah, we like against these teams in the North, we're not going to need both lines clicking. Most times one line is going to be enough as long as the other three aren't getting shelled. So that depth of scoring is, is going to be absolutely crucial for us. Now I did have one final thought about this game and it was about the switched up D pairing. So for the last two games, we've seen Muzzin with Brody, which was a pairing that performed very well, as you would expect two extremely solid, solid two way defensemen. Now Morgan Riley and Justin Hull did not have a good night tonight. They were uh, they were below forty percent expected goals while they were on the ice. While while the Leafs as a whole were at seventy, so that can just kind of tell you how how putrid they were. Yeah, that pairing just doesn't work. I think part of it is their styles don't really align. I think another part of it is the reason Justin Hole is you know a genuine top four defenseman on this team is because he is being propped up by Jake Muzzin. And Morgan Riley just doesn't doesn't do that for anyone. Morgan Riley, like if you watch him, he makes his life very very difficult on his partners. Whether it's his you know kind of unpredictable pinches or e- even just the way he passes the puck and puts himself in positions. Like if you watch Jake Muzzin, he's always in the right position. He's always able to accept a pass. He's always able to give a clean pass over. Where then boom, flip side Morgan Riley, he's he's often not in the right position. His passing like. He's not a very good passer of the puck, Morgan Riley, and he often is not in a good position to receive a pass either. So I think that's partially why that pairing just doesn't work is one, Justin Hall is probably not the caliber of player to be playing with Morgan Riley to where like a TJ Brody standard. And two, Morgan Riley just makes life really difficult on his D partner. So if you're not at that TJ Brody standard of defenseman, you're just, you're going to struggle and you could see that pairing struggle because of it. Yeah, TJ Brody is, in my eyes, pretty much the perfect partner for Morgan Riley because what is Morgan Riley's biggest flaw? He gives up so many odd man rushes. And what is TJ Brody maybe the best in the league at? Defending two on ones, three on twos, things like that. So they are a great fit together. Uh, they have performed really well. They're, like they, Their expected goals are insanely high as a pairing. So I expect to probably see them back together. But I don't mind Keith trying this just to see kind of what he has in the playoffs if things get tough. If you were able to do this and uh, like Hall and Riley were able to show a little bit of chemistry and show that they could perform, having a Muzz and Brody pairing that you could hard match to a Connor McDavid line or a Mark Shifley line on Winnipeg, like one of these one-line teams, 
it's definitely something that would be nice to have in your pocket, but based on the way Hall and Riley played so far, even if you're giving them easy minutes, they haven't been able to justify going to that long term. No, and I think that's all this is from Sheldon Keefe. I don't think this is his master plan going forward. I think he's just pretty much experimenting with that Muzz and Brody pairing in case he needs it in a shutdown role. And then he was hoping that Riley Hall could, you know, play to even or play slightly above average. Clearly that hasn't worked. So who knows? Maybe you see a Dermot Hall third pairing. Bogosian gets bumped up with Riley and becomes, you know, just that ultimate defensive safety net. And maybe that'll work a little bit if you do need to go to that Muzz and Brody pairing. But yeah, I, I think clearly the Muzz and Brody pairing is fantastic for the Leafs. Gives them a great shutdown option. I just think that that Riley Hall pairing is just a bit of a disaster for the Leafs right now. Yeah, but like you said, it's good for us to try things. That's what these last 10 games are about. Figuring out what's going to work for us in the playoffs is a lot more important than gaining regular season points right now. So props to Sheldon for trying it. Just like we set up the deadline where we want Felino on that third line as a shutdown line, and we definitely don't want him in the top six in the playoffs. But I'm not going to overreact if he tries it in the regular season because what if you what if you put Felino on that second line and all of a sudden he's like the perfect kind of John Tavares type player where he can he can open up some space for Tavares to to work in his corners. Who knows, right? So it's great for Sheldon to try things, and I hope he does that for the next ten games. Exactly, Sheldon Keith should just try anything and everything that he can think of right now. Uh, looking ahead to the playoffs, because you know you kind of have your set thing. We're probably going to see Galchenyuk, Matthews, Marner, Hyman, Galchenyuk, Marner, and then. Uh, Galchenyuk, Tavares, Nylander, Hyman, Tavares, Nylander, and then that shutdown line. That's probably what we're going to see going into the playoffs. That's my prediction, at least. And then the fourth line can get kind of figured out. Third line, Felino, hopefully Angval and um, Mikheyev. We'll see if maybe that is... I want Riley Nash and Mikheyev on the playoffs. Well, he's hurt, so I'm I'm not going to... Like, who know, who knows how he comes back? We'll, we'll see. Um, but as things kind of stand on the Leafs roster right now, that's probably my predictor. You might see Kerfoot instead of Angwell. But either way, like I, I'm not going to judge Sheldon too much based on his lineup decisions going forward in the regular season. But if he comes out with some galaxy brain stuff at the start of the playoffs, that's when I'll really start to tar- start to get worried about uh, his uh, decisions. Yeah, I just want to say if if we're facing Edmonton in a playoff round, like just thinking of a of a Mikheyev Nash Felino line with Muzzin and Brody as the defense pairing playing like 12 to 15 minutes against Connor McDavid. That, oh, that just gets me so, so excited. And then letting Matthews and Tavares just feast on the Oilers garbage bin players that aren't named McDavid and Dreisaitl. It's, it's promising, man. I know, I know we lost tonight, but things are, things are looking up. I'm keeping the positivity. Things are, we just got to figure out this goaltending thing. That's all it really boils down to. Yeah, goaltending and I think effort level needs to be figured out a little bit from some of our top guys, but that could just be, you know, down a couple of games. They're on a bit of a road trip or, you know, as long as it doesn't become a trend going forward. Uh, but yeah, goaltending is our biggest, biggest issue. And yeah. Well, with that said, the Leafs have moved to 28-13-5 for 61 points. Still first in the North. Uh, Winnipeg is at four points behind us with a game in hand. So it's not all the way locked up, but... It looks pretty good at this point. Meanwhile, at the bottom of the, the division, we have Montreal with 47 points in 43 games. Vancouver, with their win, actually moved to within eight points of Montreal. And like we said, they have four games in hand. So we could have a playoff race on our hands if uh, Montreal keeps sliding and Vancouver keeps keeps on chugging. Yeah, and I think Vancouver has all the motivation right now to keep on chugging. So that's definitely something to, to keep an eye out. 
And you got to think uh, a Vancouver team that used probably every ounce of their gas to, to sneak into that last playoff spot is that is the, the biggest alley-oop the Leafs could ever have in the playoffs. If we did not win that series, we would never live it down. So go Leafs go. Go Leafs go. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you very much. What's up, man?